Welcome to the first episode of 40 Minutes to Flushing, a New York Mets podcast brought to you by the Homegrown Sports Network. I am your host, Mike Gandell. And I'm Sean Arnell. Mets fans, I'm not going to waste your time. You know why we're all here. You know what happened. Our beloved closer, Edwin Diaz, fell victim to the World Baseball Classic yesterday in celebration of a game that doesn't count at all. You know, this is supposed to be a happy podcast. We've been planning on doing this for how many months now? Uh, this is the first episode, and immediately we just have to talk about the Mets and how they constantly met. Um, our star closer, best closer in baseball, best closer on the planet at the moment, injures himself, not in a spring training game, not throwing a pitch, not even walking up the dugout stairs. He injures himself, celebrating on the mound after a World Baseball Classic win. Is there a more pointless way to get injured? I really don't think so, honestly. Um, unless you're thinking about uh, an old Rocky shortstop who got hurt carrying 40 pounds of elk meat up the stairs. But other than that, no. <laughs> I, I, st- I don't even think that was as ridiculous as what happened last night. You saw his brother, right, literally crying on the field, getting taken off in a wheelchair. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You mean future Metal Alexis Diaz? (laughs) (laughs) We can only hope, right, guys? But uh, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of uh, what's going on in the world of Mets. Um, However, I'm also going to tell you why everything's going to be okay as well. I like that. Some optimism, episode one. You know, got to keep it on an even keel. We don't want to start off too negative. I mean, there was a lot of talk last year about how this team is different. This organization is different. That's easy to say when you're winning 101 games. I need you Met fans now to have that attitude. And you know what? It, it is still different. Uh, all things aside, like this injury fucking sucks. Let's let's be honest. It is what it is. It's horrible. It's- We're not downplaying it at all. It does suck. It's an absolute freak injury. The only thing I can even think of is Kendrys Morales hurting his, uh, what do you break his leg jumping on home plate after a home run? Yeah, it's that's the closest thing I could compare it to. Uh, It's it's bullshit, but you know it is a different organization. And let's not forget, Steve Cohen's the kind of guy who can go out tomorrow and pull off a big trade for a major reliever. He'd go out and get a bat we're not expecting. You know, nothing's out of the realm of possibility for this guy. So, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, we're down our closer. Yes, our bullpen depth is hurt now because of this. But we, we've got the resources now to make up for it. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, in the meantime, we are losing a guy who had a historic season last year. Historically high K rate. Is it the highest of all time? It's up there for sure. Wasn't it like above 50%, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it was above 50% of batteries he faced. <laughs> so my optimism about it lies in the fact that there's no guarantee he was going to do that again. Right. Um, it's also the idea that your season's over, you know, because you lost your closer is a total disrespect to the other 24 men on that roster. Go tell Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander they don't have a shot. I dare you. The old Mets think that way. The, don't think this way. Because you know who this pisses off the most? 
the most important guy. That's Steve Cohen. He wants to solve this problem more than any of us. That's why I'm so faithful in this. I know the guys in the organization want to take care of this. They want to nip this in the butt as soon as they can. Having said that, though, you may not see anything done right now. I want to be clear. We're not stuck with David Robertson. We are lucky to have David Robertson. Yeah, he, he's solid insurance. He was the closer for the National League champions last year. Um, if you got to rely on somebody to step up and be your closer, he's not a bad option. Uh, I mean, that being said, I do wish we had some depth behind him, but it's not something that we can't add during the season. Does it affect the the rest of the bullpen? Everybody has to move up a peg. So that yeah. that will I'm not really worried about what it's gonna do to David Robertson as much as it's gonna do to the rest of the bullpen, like guys like Drew Smith, newly acquired John Curtis, who's supposed to do some big things out of the bullpen for us this year. He was kind of a sneaky acquisition. You're gonna need Ottavino to repeat what he did last year. That's I think the biggest key for me is Adam Ottavino's been one of those guys in his career who's been kind of up and down. He had a really solid year for us last year. Um, and, you know, I think they saw him as more of a righty specialist, but really became a guy you could depend on to get lefties out too. Uh, that that sweeping curveball is almost like a, a backdoor slider that's that's lethal against, uh, against lefties. Um, but can he be as consistent as he was last year? That's the big question. Uh, I, I'm optimistic. And if he's not, you know, they're going to do something about it. But ultimately, it sucks. I, I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, today's one of those days where you're just in a shit mood because it's all you're thinking about when you think about baseball, you know, you get the spring training, uh, updates for tonight's game. And it's like, that's all you think about is Edwin Diaz world baseball classic, all the highlights. You just think about that again, but you just got to move on next man up. Yeah. We've been looking forward to this season for so long now. Uh, it was a fun off season and just, to put the nail in the coffin before we even get started now, two weeks out. It's it's just tough to do that. Let, let's wait and see what happens. Try to enjoy the season and hopefully things go our way and we make a run. Um, obviously, this makes it harder, but you never know. Uh, things happen in baseball and uh, we've got the resources to make up for it if any team does. So we'll wait and see what happens with this. I just want to point out maybe a couple of options if they do decide to look elsewhere, you know. It's gonna. I'm going. I plan on roster hunting from now until July. I'm. I'm looking at teams' bullpens who I think are gonna have sub 500 record records. I'm like, ooh, I like this guy. I like this guy. I like this guy. How about you, Sean? Give me a couple of names. I know there's a couple guys you like. David Bednar is the guy I think of now when you think of those teams that are just out of it, that have no chance of competing this year. Pirates, uh, definitely top of that list. Had a really solid season for them last year. Really no reason for them to roster him. Um, the Mets have a halfway decent farm system now. No reason we can't give up a mid-tier prospect to get him. Uh, mid-tier prospect or two even. And, you know, it's just solid depth. I, I think Robertson still gets the uh, the closer job out of the gate. But it's just uh, another guy to be your eighth inning guy in case uh, Adovino doesn't pan out. Sean, Pittsburgh Pirates sub 500 team trade package are you hinting at a brian reynolds david bedner package to the mets well i know now. you i know you <laughs> yeah you, you know i'm a fan of brian reynolds um i thought he'd be a great fit for the yankees but apparently the uh, pirates asking price has been too high um honestly if i'm the mets 
I, I really do take a look at him. I, I think he's a really solid all-around player. Uh, you're moving him to left field in this scenario, so even better defensively than having him in center, I think. I think Nimmo's still superior there. The guy had a bit of a down year offensively, but he's still, when you look at his age, should be in his prime. Uh, you look at his OPS the last few years before that, really solid, too. One of the more underrated players in baseball, and I think he's a candidate who could definitely bounce back this year. Well, it's not all doom and gloom here in Mets Nation. The Mets actually got some good news today, but you probably weren't paying attention to that. Our friend Kodai Senga came back and pitched today. Three innings, uh, one run, three hits, five strikeouts. So that is a sign of optimism for the Mets. I want to touch up on another uh, couple of injuries we have in camp. One with Jose Quintana, newly acquired starting pitcher, and Brooks Raley, quite possibly, I think, the only lefty on the roster, if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to the bullpen. Yeah, unless you believe David Peterson's going to be a reliever, which I don't. Uh, yep, he's the only lefty we got. Well, after losing Jose Quintana, no, he will not be a reliever. Most certainly not. Uh, even if Tyler McGill goes into the rotation, I think, you know, they're they're not going to want to waste David Peterson in the bullpen. Um, and even maybe Joey Locasey, like, I don't see them just saying, you're being converted to relievers. I, I feel like they're more likely to, uh, I mean, maybe one of them becomes a long reliever, not no, not so much a lefty specialist. The other one probably goes to AAA to uh, stay loose in case they need him for starts. Am I crazy for um, thinking that McGill's upside brings more than Jose Quintana's floor? No, I don't think you're crazy. It's kind of funny to me how a lot of Mets fans and WFAN personalities are really so hyped up about uh, Jose Quintana. Uh, I mean, he's a solid pitcher. He's coming off a good year. I know he finished last year really strong, but I'm not overly excited by this guy. Jose Quintana is the kind of guy the Wolpons would have signed to be our ace like five, six years ago. Uh, solid back end of the bull or bullpen, back end of the rotation guy. Uh, you don't mind having him as your four or five starter replacing uh, Taiwan Walker. Sure, you could see him replacing that. Uh, that level of production we were getting out of him, but I really didn't have high hopes. I feel like some guys assumed he could slot into like that three spot in the rotation and replace the uh, production we were getting out of Chris Bassett. I, I don't really see it. I mean, it, I, I feel like we saw the best out of him last year, the second half of the season. He just seems like a classic, like, you know, finish the season strong, gets a big contract, and then it's kind of just meh the rest of his career. Yeah, it definitely seems like the kind of move the Wilpons would try to upsell you on back in the day. But yeah. when it comes to Quintana, yeah, I, I think he's pretty replaceable, to be honest. I, I would actually, when it comes to having a lefty in your rotation, I, I'm just going to settle with Peterson over Quintana. I, I don't dislike the signing at all. I think for what we gave him, uh, for sure, like, seems like a quality move for a back end of the rotation guy. We had guys like Peterson, Lucchese. Um, Tyler McGill, Eliezer Hernandez, you're going to use him, uh, not throwing Budo in there because he's terrible. Uh, but it, it does feel good to know you have that depth and guys who at least have made major league starts consistently in, in recent years. And you could depend on if you need them for a spot start here and there, it's not just some random triple a pitcher who you're hoping keeps you in a game. and doesn't just, you know, blow up in the first or second inning and completely ruin your night. You also like kind of waste a minor leaguer's option just by calling them up too. That's true too, especially a guy with some uh, potential. 
Ronnie Mauricio was eligible for the Rule 5 draft oh, at one point. Well, I'm pretty He glad went from, they, like, uh... somebody I kind of was like, eh, whatever, to wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I- I'm still not the biggest fan of Ronnie Mauricio. Like, yeah, for sure. I'm glad that he's playing well. Uh, I hope that he's for real. I'm not going to buy into it too much. I think the Mets have a lot of depth at the positions that he uh, play. I don't even want to say excels at because I don't think he's going to stick at shortstop for his career anyway. But um, no, the positions he he's eligible at, like you could see him being a shortstop or a third baseman for his career. Um, I know there's some talk maybe corner outfield. I don't know if he's got the legs for it, but yeah, at least it, it's like positions where we've got Beatty, we've got Vientos. Um, both of them can play left field as well. Obviously, their their primary position is third base, and you've got Lindor holding down shortstop for the next decade. So you don't feel like you have to keep a guy like that, but at least it gives you options. Uh, maybe he, maybe of all the guys I just mentioned, he is the guy who pans out, and he becomes our everyday third baseman. Or, you know, maybe Beatty's looking really good, and at a certain point, it's just shit or get off the pot, which is something you need to do with prospects. You can't just hoard them. And we decide... All right, you know, uh, it's trade deadline. Uh, we need to add some depth. Really need a bat. Really need a reliever. You make that trade for like a David Bednar um, and a Brian Reynolds and just look to fortify the team. And you don't feel too bad about losing Ronnie Mauricio because you're getting two solid pieces back. But, you know, that's what good teams do. They're, they're willing to trade prospects who are looking good uh, to make the team better and because they can afford to if you got a guy like a Beatty who's really excelling. So, yeah, definitely happy Mauricio is playing well. Uh, gives us potentially another option either here or somewhere else. And uh, Zach Green, who the Mets had gotten from the Yankees in the Rule 5 draft, uh, I believe he was given back to the Yankees. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that works with waivers. I, I know you have to keep them on your roster Uh all year for them to remain with your team. Otherwise they go, I think they're offered back to the original team. And then if they decline, they, they have to clear waivers. But I, I believe Zach green was optioned back to the Yankees and accepted. Uh, so the Mets did lose a rule five draft pick back to them. He was seen as a potential bullpen piece. Going back to Mauricio and, Oh, well maybe even our other prospects as well. I'm hoping they somehow find a DH out of all of this. Uh, our current yeah. DH spot is something that is a place we need to upgrade at. We need offense. Uh, we have enough. Don't don't you say the uh, R word. Hmm. What's the R word? Rough. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, he can't be any worse than he was last year. Somewhere Frank the Tank is smashing a table. Oh, I'm right there with him, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I think we all looked at that trade um, for what it was when it happened. Like, it it just didn't add up. Uh, And not to get too far back into what happened last season, we all know that trade was ill-advised at best. Um, Just shocking for a team that looked like they were just a few pieces away from being serious contenders to make a trade not only to get a guy like that of all people but to also give away four players who may not have been studs but four breathing living humans for darren ruff is a lot to give up uh in my opinion 
especially when one of them is J.D. Davis, who alone, I feel like, should have more value than Darren Ruff and certainly offers a lot more upside. Uh, that's the trade they made. I think Billy Epler was trying to be too smart. He looked at the fact that, you know, despite the fact that this guy's numbers across the board are horrible, hey, he hit lefties really well, so surely he'll play well in a role where he's only seeing lefties. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the case, and I think that shows you can't just say, like, oh, this guy hits lefties well, let's put him in this role, because, you know, for some guys it works, but for other guys, they need to be playing every day to really excel in that kind of role, and he's just not that guy, and maybe there's a reason he wasn't in the majors for, like, three straight years. He He's not good. He's just not good. <laughs> no, it does. You don't really doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he is not a, he's not a good DH. He's not a good baseball player. He should retire now, yeah. but as much praise as I've given to the Mets uh, earlier in the show that I have given to the Mets front office, I will say this DH position is the place where they've shown some complacency there in the roster at, if they have intentions on competing the way they say they do, uh, that's the spot they gotta they gotta fix. And it's the easiest position to fill. I mean, we've got a number of candidates. We've got some guys who have bats but no real position. I mean, Vientos, not sure if he's ready to be that guy, but at least warrants a look. He's hit at every level in the minors. Might as well try him out during spring training, see what he can do. Same thing with Mauricio, not really a wizard with the glove. He's hitting well, got a solid bat, supposedly. Maybe he's a guy worth taking a look at. Any of them would excite me more than the combination of Darren Ruff and um, why am I blanking on his name right now? Oh, Daniel Vogelbach. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that platoon between uh, Vogelbach and Ruff—it's—it's it's something that you know really underdelivered. Uh, Vogelbach did what he had to do. Darren Ruff obviously didn't do anything. Um, to a degree, he did what he had to do. Um, right. He didn't instill confidence when he was out there, even against righties. Like he had his stretches where he was hot, especially when the Mets first got him. Outside of that, you know, he—he he was pretty hard to watch. And I think there's a reason why guys like that bounce from team to team and never really catch on. Um, you know, maybe solid bench depth, maybe a guy who'd give you some at bats if, uh, you know, if you're facing an injury to a guy like an Alonzo or something, but not really somebody you want out there every day for the course of a season, even platooning, I think, in a DH role. That that's my opinion. Uh, you gotta like him personally. Funny guy, great story, but uh, I, I don't know. I just watching him every day last year. Just kind of felt like the magic wore off for me after a while where you kind of saw what he really was. Like, almost a Lucas Duda-ish quality to him. Like, almost too passive at the plate. Um, obviously, he's got the power. Just don't always like his approach up there. Very passive. Aggressive and then passive, if that makes sense. When he's aggressive, he's swinging at pitches that are just out of the zone. And then, then he'll take a strike right down the plate. We're earlier in the game. A walk needs to be worked out. I get it. But later in the game, if you're up against a team's bullpen, there is no working counts. You get the best pitch you can hit, and I'm seeing a yeah. lot of that. Uh, good, you get a fastball, uh, you attack. Yeah, good comparison, though, with Lucas Duda. Lucas Duda had, was a little too passive at times. He, you think? I also think, you know, 
they kind of got into his head a little bit with that, the whole money ball approach back in the day, the Sandy Alverson approach rather, yeah. but they, they went a little too deep with that. I think at one point taking too many pitches. Oh, for sure. And I think it affected the whole organization at that point, um, not to get too far into the past, but right. You know, th- that whole philosophy. And you saw a guy like uh, Justin Turner get away from that and then go to the Dodgers and match. Like, I think that approach doesn't work for everybody. Lucas dude is probably one of those guys. Yeah, I I like Jeff McNeil's approach. I mean, he's aggressive. He puts the ball in play. And for a guy who puts the ball in play, he doesn't chase, though. His He does have a good eye. He He's able to, you know, put the bat on the ball. And now that the shift has been kind of taken away from teams, he's going to find more holes, which is weird that he was kind of shifted to begin with. I mean, he's he's a guy who gets didn't to spray the ball all over the field. It, it really it. didn't make sense. And it's funny you mentioned that too. Um, McNeil is very aggressive at the plate, but he has just such incredible hand-eye coordination that he can get away with it. And I think that's where, that's what separates him from a guy like Vogelbach. Vogelbach has a ton of power, um, can certainly recognize a ball and take pitches, but I think he lacks the ability to really hone in on pitches he should be aggressive and mash versus pitches he should uh, ultimately take sometimes. I think he gets too much in his head. Uh, he gets too comfortable sometimes taking the walk. He gets frustrated sometimes and falls behind in the count. I think McNeil just always looks patient at the plate, will attack any pitch if he gets a pitch he can hit, and I think that's what separates a really good hitter from a, a guy who maybe is more of a sabermetric starling. Uh, Volkovac, to a degree, because of his on-base percentage, I think is one of those guys who – you know, yeah, the OPS looks great, but when you watch him every day, doesn't really feel great as a DH, especially like, oh, good, he he drew a walk with two outs in the seventh inning, and the guy behind him is, you know, Mark Hanna. Like, yeah, he's on base, but what good is that doing if he's not driving in the runs, you know? That's like, a rough combination to try and generate a run for the team. You got a guy yeah. who walks just so he can clog the base path for you. I mean, that's not exactly. going to really do you anything, you know, and – I wanted to touch up on Mark Hanna real quick before we kind of close out this first episode. The Mets are going to have to start looking into platooning in left field with him soon too, because yes. I I enjoy his patience at the plate, but if all you're going to do is hit singles and walk, I I don't really need you in the lineup. I I'll very be solid with you. role player. Yeah. Yeah. I know he had a two and a half war last year. You watch him every day. You just don't see it. There were stretches where he was hot and for sure gave the team a boost, but just uh, like I'm, I'm if the Mets were to say, Hey, we're going to try Beatty out in left field every day. We prefer him playing in left field and Escobar playing third base. I would be okay with it. There's no reason why Mark Hanna can't be the team's. I wouldn't even say fourth outfielder. I would say like third and a half outfielder. Yeah, I like him a little more than what I've seen from Tommy Pham so far in spring. And I like Tommy Pham too, but I, I do, agree. But when the opportunity comes, if they could find some more pop for left field, you know, and I know we touched up earlier in the show on Brian Reynolds, but if even if that means putting Beatty out there in left field, I, I think Beatty is the guy out of all the other ones when it comes to Vientos and Mauricio. Um, I, think, I think Beatty's the guy you want out in left field. And then once Escobar is, uh, you know, 
once Escobar's contract runs out, um, you could slide him right into third. But him having the ability to go to left is also very helpful. Yeah, and Beatty certainly seems like the guy that has that versatility. Um, I'll be honest, when I look at Canna and Eduardo Escobar, I like Escobar's bat more. I like what he brings to the table defensively. I'd prefer to have him in the lineup every day if we're talking one or the other. So, yeah, totally agree. We'd love to see Beatty in left field uh, if it comes down to it. I agree totally. Well, guys, we just want to say thank you for watching and thank you for listening to the first episode of 40 Minutes to Flushing. We can't wait to give you up-to-date Mets news all season long. Thank you for watching.